1: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that, as you know, brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into the issues you're talking about in football. I've been regarding, with me as always, is the guru, Mr Duncan Castles. This will be a managerial magic roundabout pod after a week of dramatic moves uh, among some of Europe's biggest clubs with regards to sacking, recruiting and looking for new managers. Uh, Duncan, uh, it's a bit like if it was made into a a really bad rom-com film, it would be uh, three lost titles and one winner, but everyone a loser. I'm not sure who would play Hugh Grant, but I suspect uh, Antonio Conte is the most obvious uh, candidate for that. Uh, We're going to talk about the different permutations of um, where those particular head coaches go, as well as what the implications will be regarding the clubs involved. We also have transfer news for you from Liverpool, from Leicester City. Uh, We have an analysis of... Manchester United's defeat in the Europa League final by Villarreal. And of course, it's the second podcast of the week. And so the Dunkey Award will indeed be presented. Let's start, uh, Duncan, with Massimano Allegri, who has been out of work for some time. Uh, We figured he would be involved in many um, clubs' thoughts with regards to joining them. But instead... The sacking of Andrea Pirlo at Juventus appears to make it now sense that he will return to the grand old lady of Torino, uh, Juventus. And uh, you have got some very interesting, detailed information regarding Allegri's return to Juve.
0: Yeah, we told you that Allegri was ready to go back to football. He felt like he'd been waiting for too long. He intended to take one year out and it it turned into two seasons. He'd basically been sitting in a position where, as as it was described to me, there were three doors open. One was Juventus, which he was reluctant to go back to um, unless a a series of conditions were met. Another was Internazionale, who wanted to hire him last summer um, when they had their... uh, the annual Antonio Conte conflict with uh, club management uh, issues to deal with and uh, thought Conte might uh, walk out on them and they wanted a a high-quality replacement in. They saw the same thing coming with Conte this summer and uh, had lined Allegri up as a a possible replacement. And the the final one was Real Madrid, uh, a job he'd been waiting on on for a long time, waiting to see what would happen with, with Zidane, whether the job would come open, whether he'd be offered it. Um, Zidane, of course, did leave Real Madrid um once again uh, th- this past week. But um by Allegri's account, he had not had a definitive offer from them at the point at which Juventus intervened and said, What do you need to come back? Because we want you to fix the damage that's been done to this club. Um, he was playing a, a charity football match on Monday. Uh, around that game, he met John Elkin, who is the senior figure in the company that controls Juventus, the real power behind Juventus, and Andrea Agnelli, the, um, the chairman um, of the club at present. A discussion was had in which they asked Allegri to come back. Um, they proposed that they would give him a, a basic salary of €7 million euros net which is substantial in the current economic climate. One that could reach 10 million um, with uh, performance-related bonuses achieved. Four-year deal, so a lot of job security. And, And crucially, they responded to a request of his, which was, I don't see myself as a coach anymore. I've done the coaching part. I want to be a coach and a manager. I want to control the direction of this club, not just... In preparation of players not just in tactical decisions um, not just in the man management of players i want to be able to determine who we sign and who we move out and i don't want to work with the people i had to work with last time i don't want to work with the people who were responsible for um, me leaving this club uh, and being replaced first by Maurizio Sarri and then by Andrea Pirlo um, and Juventus said yes to all of that they said you can director transfers um Fabio paratici as we had uh, mentioned in the podcast some time ago was dismissed from his position as sports director um someone that allegri had worked with before and trusted within the Juventus hierarchy Federico Carubini was promoted into a role similar to paratici's to work alongside him on recruitment um and uh As Allegri has explained to friends of his, Real Madrid hadn't given me a definite answer. I couldn't keep them waiting. I couldn't keep waiting for them indefinitely. And I couldn't keep Juventus waiting when they asked me what I wanted to come back and they offered me everything I asked for. So he has agreed to do it. There's also, I'm told, a a kind of personal side to this that's important in that um, Allegri's son, Giorgio, from a former marriage, is based in Torino. And by going back to Juventus, he will be able to see his son on a daily basis, spend a lot more time with him. And that that was an additional factor, um, combined with this extremely strong pitch Juventus made to come back and, and fix the problems that um, they brought upon themselves at the club. The reason why he has um, ruled out Madrid, said no to Inter, and uh, decided to go back to Juventus.
1: Or perhaps, uh, like Carlo Ancelotti, he'll bring uh, his son onto the coaching staff and therefore we'll see him every day.
0: <laughs> uh, I think he's a little bit young for that at present. I think even Carlo waited until he'd uh, got his degrees and um, done his coaching badges before adding him to the coaching staff.
1: Never too young. On to the next uh, roundabout candidate uh, and that, of course, is Antonio Conte, who is our one winner in our three losers of titles. So let's just quickly recap for you. Uh, Pirlo lost the title at Juventus after nine seasons. Uh, also, uh, Maurizio Pochettino managed to do something which was almost unthinkable, and that was to lose league and title with PSG and also Zinedine Zidane, presided over Real Madrid's 1st trophyless season in 11 years. However, Conte is a man in demand. Uh, He is a serial winner. If I were to describe him, Duncan, uh, for some of uh, our listeners of a certain age, I've already said he might be the Hugh Grant, but I think actually he's probably the Zebedee, um, or maybe even Dougal. Uh, with his long locks uh, in the magic roundabout. Potentially the best candidate and the preferred candidate for Madrid.
0: Um, I'm not sure about Dougal. I think Dougal's long locks were all natural, um, unlike Antonio's. (laughs) Um, Look, Conte... Dougal Dougal Conte's got a nice ring to it. (laughs) It does, it does. Conte is probably the hardest manager in world football to deal with. He is never happy, never satisfied with what's going on, always demanding more from his club. Um, a lot of it is driven by his personal ambition. He wants to prove himself to be the best coach in world football. He knows that um to get that kind of recognition, one of the things he has to do is to win the Champions League. And he wants to be at a club where he can win the Champions League. He's looked at the situation at Inter. He knows that Sunning are um at best uh Going to aggressively reduce the budget at the club. They're trying to sell the club. There's problems with that sale because Suning, um, in parallel to tactics used by Qatar and Abu Dhabi at Paris Saint Germain and Manchester City, they've kind of inflated the revenues of the club by giving them sponsorship deals from their um, companies or areas that they control themselves. Um, so that makes the sale of Inter, which is what Suning have been trying to put into effect because the Chinese government have told them to disinvest from football. Remember, they've already sold the Chinese champions and closed the club down because of of that order from the, the Chinese government. So Inter's situation was such it wasn't hard to work out that he was very unlikely to be able to win the Champions League and maybe quite difficult for him to retain Serie A title if he stayed there. He has negotiated himself a very good deal in that this is his decision to leave, yet he is going to be paid 7 million euros by Inter to leave his job. He made an argument that if he stayed, it would cost him 30 million euros because his salary was so high and bonuses he was uh, entitled to, but he's negotiated a good exit package from Inter. Now, what he's trying to do is to find out whether it's possible to secure the job either at Real Madrid or at Paris Saint-Germain. He wants, as I've said, a club where he can win the Champions League. He sees those two jobs are open. He's trying to find out and going to try and convince those clubs that he's the right man to hire to solve their problems. Obviously, the Madrid job is open. Um, Talking to someone with good knowledge of the club he thinks it's unlikely that they'll go for Antonio Conte in the current circumstances. Um, I want to do a bit more digging on that, just just been looking at it this morning. But I, I think that fits with their knowledge of Conte as an individual and the demands he'll make and the, the parameters in which he would have to work because Madrid have their own financial problems to to solve at present. Um, Paris Saint Germain also fascinating because they have Pochettino there. He uh, was only hired um, in during the current season after they they sacked Thomas Tuchel um, to uh, turn them into Champions League winners. He failed obviously this in his first season. Um, didn't get them to the final. Um, also lost the title to Leo. And okay, there were problems before. Pochettino was appointed. But you look at Pochettino's own record during the time he was in charge of PSG, he took 21 of their Ligue 1 matches this season. He won 15 of them, drew two, lost four. So he definitely contributed to that failure um, to retain the French title and losing the title to uh, a Lille side with a fraction of the budget that um, that PSG have. Um, I talked to some people at at PSG earlier in the season, when Pochettino had gone in to ask what their impressions of him were as a coach, and got and got well. It's a very interesting response, kind of unexpected response. In that one side of it was we like him as a person, his his handling of individuals, man to man, is very good, um, likable character, but tactically as a coach, we're not convinced. Um, We don't think he's particularly improved matters. He's not as good as we expected him to be. Now, in those circumstances, remember when Pochettino was hired by PSG, they only gave him an 18-month contract, um, which really isn't a a massive statement of uh, faith in a coach who had uh, very high status in the European game and a big reputation. Qatar have been very quick to change coaches in the past. We, we have a scenario now where Pochettino is exploring the possibility of going back to Tottenham Hotspur. Um, you wonder if Pochettino is is looking to get out off his own back before he is kicked out by Qatar and, uh, and they try another of their own merry-go-round of coaches they've hired to try and win that trophy that's most important to them, the, the Champions League.
1: I spoke to one Premier League manager this week, Duncan. Um, about, well, about Real Madrid basically Um, and the prospect for any head coach going into that club. Um, And I'm talking about a high-profile manager, not someone who potentially wouldn't be considered for that job. Uh, And he said to me, if you step back and look at it, yes, Real Madrid is probably one of the, or if not the, most high-profile manager jobs in world football. But at this moment in time, you have a stadium rebuild, a financial meltdown. If you look at the spine of the team, Sergio Ramos, uh, Rafael Varane's future in doubt. Uh, You've got a midfield duo of Tony Cruz and Luka Modric, who are both certainly on the wrong side of the prime of their career. And you've got Karen Benzema, who has had an amazing season, and no one can dispute that. But again, he's not a spring chicken. Now, given those confluence of circumstances with regards to the financial aspect, as well as uh, the way that Madrid uh, played over the last nine months, and as I said earlier, have not won. A trophy for the first time in 11 years. Any head coach going in there, knowing that he won't have complete control over transfers, knowing that Florentino Perez is an extremely demanding boss who insists on having a huge influence on transfers and even has been known to question a manager's team selection, you'd have to be a little bit mad, really, to take the job. And of all the candidates, um, that have been mentioned. Conti seems the most mad. <laughs> Perhaps that would suit him. Um, although, of course, there have been other candidates mentioned. Raul obviously has been working with the youths uh, at Real Madrid and as Madrid through and through. Um, but again, you know, we've seen a massive turnover of managers at the Santiago Bernabeu in the last five years um with Zidane eventually coming back after burning out and now deciding that he's had enough as well so
0: uh, is it a poison chalice it's not a straightforward job for sure for the reasons you outline it's not it's not in the position that it has been over the last what, 20 years where madrid have been the club that could spend outspend everyone else uh convince the top stars to come to them secure them put them in the team Turn over their team, their squad on a regular basis. That they're having to be more strategic about it. They want Kylian Mbappé there, and uh, and do not rule out the possibility that that deal happens this summer. If Paris Saint Germain realise that they're going to lose the player in a year's time for nothing, and decide to take take the money now, then you you're moving as a coach to a club um, that will have the best forward in world football to build Duncan, your team around.
1: Excuse me for butting in, but Mbappé's not the answer to all their problems, is he? No. Uh, no I mean, he, look he, at Eden Hazard. He, he was a, supposed to be the answer and has absolutely flopped in a situation where Madrid have struggled. If I was Kylian Mbappé, I'd be looking at that club and thinking, is it really my best move at this point in my career? I can go there in four or five years' time when they're much stronger.
0: There are a number of players who are, who are headed to the end of their career and the, and you need to change them. But the, also, Madrid have done a lot of recruitment over the last few seasons of younger talents who haven't been fully integrated into the, the squad yet. And part of the discontent Florentino Perez had about Zidane was that he was sticking with his... Um, tried and trusted lieutenants in the team and wasn't doing that that process of, of change that, that was expected from the club. So I think if you come in as a new coach and you like the talents that have been acquired and you're given a bit of scope to to move certain individuals out, you can make a decision, for example, over uh, do we retain Sergio Ramos or do we put our money into Raphael Varane? I mean, that or do we... Do we keep both of them? Do you decide you want that retained as your defense? Um, and you have that prospect of Mbappe coming in. Um, it's, you know, you I don't think it's hard to understand why top coaches would be interested in going there if the project is set up in a way that recognizes the the challenges that are present and 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 puts resource into the right areas. Look, they're they're looking at um, changing the recruitment policy. Um, we told you months ago that um, Luis Campos was a candidate for them to come in and and, and take over um, the the recruitment at the club. Um, someone who's very close to Kylian Mbappe, who who was responsible for his emergence at, at Monaco um so you would think would assist in in that transfer there and someone with a proven track record of identifying excellent talent at a really cheap price now I'm not saying he will definitely take the job um but if you have that so better um, organization of the recruitment and um it's not a bad squad of players you're inheriting and you have the support of of Florentino to to make changes and bring success on the field, because remember, Florentino has a lot invested in this next appointment. Being correct, he wants to be able to say to the supporters, "Actually, it was right to change Zidane. Actually, we did need to to work, it, go in a different direction, to start winning the Spanish title and um, and start winning the Champions League again." and also, I guess your calculation would be what state are the other clubs in, in Spanish football in? Barcelona aren't in good shape at present. Um, Atletico Madrid limped to that title. Um, you, I think if the, the, the circumstances and the deal offered to you is a good one, then you have to back yourself to succeed at Madrid, at least, at the very least, on a, on a domestic level. Another man mentioned
1: in the Madrid uh, list of potential replacements for Zidane is Mauricio Pochettino-Duncan. We know that he had conversations with Florentino Perez uh, with regards to going there. As you mentioned already in the pod, uh, his future at PSG is uncertain. There's a break clause this summer um, with only a year left on that particular contract. We know that Tottenham Hotspur have uh, had an interest in asking him to return uh, to them. If you were Pochettino and you looked at the two options, what would be your decision?
0: (laughs) It doesn't really matter what what my thoughts on them are. Um, I think it's fascinating that he is at least allowing the idea to circulate that he would be ready to go back to Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I can see the appeal for Daniel Levy um, even though it it involves him admitting he made a mistake um, because that is an appointment that will go down well with the majority of Tottenham supporters and it uh, certainly fits the description of the type of coach that Levy said he was looking for and um, playing attacking football promoting young players again but there's a reason why Pochettino was unhappy at Tottenham and why the relationship fell apart. The results were poor for a long time before Pochettino was sacked. Um the Champions League final they reached it was kind of anomalous to where the club had been. And you you don't have to look very hard at the way they reached that final. Um it was, you know, it was basically miracle after miracle that got them there. It wasn't in tandem with what they were doing in, in domestic football. They weren't at the level they'd been in previous seasons. Even Harry Kane in his, his recent interview when he was talking about their great opportunities to win trophies, he, would, he was saying the team had gone off the boil by that stage. Um, Pochstein was very unhappy with his recruitment. He was unhappy with the way the club was being run. He would be going back to a club that now has probably the biggest unexpected impact of covid to deal with of any club in England because of the stadium because, it, because the 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 financial plan of the club and the sporting plan of the club was built around filling that stadium they've had over a year of having to deal with the cost of it 1.2 billion albeit they've they've spread it into low interest loans They've had to take £175 million, I think, loan, interest-free loan from the government, which is due to be repaid uh, next year. Um, They're not really in a place where you can expect them to put a lot of money into the squad, which is what Pochettino was asking for before he left. Um, But maybe having experienced... French football, having experienced Paris Saint-Germain, having had to deal with the egos of that dressing room, which are on a different scale altogether to the the players he dealt with at Tottenham and certainly uh, at Southampton. He's realized that um actually it's quite a nice place to work after all. Maybe I maybe I if Levy's asking me to come back, that's that's the right way to go. Um again. It's not clear to me from what I'm hearing from the Madrid end that he is the preferred candidate to take that job for them any longer. Um, they will obviously have watched what happened during that last period at Tottenham and what's happened at Paris. And, you know, we both know that it's, it's quite easy for a coach's status on the market to change radically in, you know, in, in the space of one job. Um, and and one season of performance in a job and um, I think that's what Pochettino's looking at at the moment So
1: obviously we mentioned the fact that Antonio Conte has left Internazionale uh, having won uh, the first Serie A title since Jose Mourinho won it the favourite to replace Conte is Simone Anzaghi who um, has been heavily linked with that job uh, Duncan, apparently he was close to agreeing a contract extension before reneging on that.
0: Um, he, he'd he been trying to get a new contract at Lazio for the best part of a season. Um, he had kind of been left hanging by the, the president in that um, he'd talked that he went publicly about wanting to stay at, at Lazio, which is a club he's got a huge history with. Um, but the deal hadn't been provided to him. They did talk at the end of the season um, and they came to an agreement over a new contract. Uh, and then um, basically on the day that he'd made an agreement and, and given his word that he would sign an extension at Lazio, um, the, the the legal papers were being drawn up. They were expected to be signed the next day. His agent came to him and said, Inter want to hire you. Um, don't sign that contract. Uh, this the offer they're giving you is a very substantial pay rise. Um, you have the you're inheriting a team that won the just won the scudetto. Okay, they they have financial difficulties, but they have more possibility of winning a title um, than than Lazio do. This is your big opportunity. Um, and Inzaghi told his agent, oh, I've given my word, I can't go back on it. And his agent, I'm told, had to persuade him and say, look, don't be stupid. These opportunities don't present themselves on a regular basis. The president lats, you kept you waiting for over six months for a new contract. Do you really owe him um, to fulfil... What you said verbally, uh, I suggest you call him and explain the situation and apologize and say you're going to have to take the, the, the job at Inter. And that is, I'm told, what's happened. And he is now committed to becoming the the next coach of Inter. And and Lazio are looking for a replacement.
1: As you spoke, I couldn't help myself but hear the theme from the godfather in my head with with regards to um, changing your mind and deciding to do something else. Um Okay, so the, to complete the analogy of the managerial magic roundabout, uh, Allegri goes to Juventus, Pochettino, Spurs or Madrid, Conte, potentially Madrid, Simone Inzaghi, Inter, and we think that Ermintrude, the cow, might be the next manager of Spurs. But keeping on the managerial theme and, and cows and Ehrmantrude, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, experienced yet another uh, failure and disappointment in uh, Wednesday night's Europa League final defeat to the relative minnows of Villarreal. He has come under a lot of criticism, uh, both for uh, his lack of using substitutions at correct times, as well as his game plan and lack of trying to impact the game. Personally, I've spoken to a Manchester United player uh, who admittedly played his entire career under Sir Alex Ferguson. and asked him the question, uh, if he was on the pitch that night, how would he have felt with regards to the manager's inaction uh, in play? And he said to me that he would have felt a dent in the confidence of not just himself, but the rest of the team. They expect more uh, in terms of proactive change uh when you're looking to win a trophy, not just avoid defeat. And even though of course it was a narrow defeat by one penalty kick uh in Gdansk, uh it still is another trophyless season for Manchester United. And Duncan the reaction has been um somewhere some in some places critical, but in others defending the manager and blaming the players. Uh, which has become uh, a normal and uh, continuous uh, feature of uh, Solshar's time at Manchester United. But it seems to me that uh, the kind of running of excuses with regards to defending Solskjaer, and even certainly a section of Manchester United fans, are getting a little bit bored of hearing uh, past, you know, former players saying, yeah, Ollie will get it right. Eventually, he needs, you know, a hundred billion pounds to renew the squad, and then that, everything will be fine. Uh, whereas, of course, that's completely unrealistic. And Wednesday night was probably an example of uh, how, let's just say, inexperienced, almost negligent, uh, his coaching style can be with regards to trying or not trying to impact a game in play which is a massive part of being a manager at the elite level.
0: Yeah, there's so many factors to this. Um, But look, you you had Paul Scholes um, trying to defend his friend, as he's done throughout his entire time as as Manchester United manager. And uh, the best he could come up with was that, from Solskjaer's decisions not to bring a substitute on until the 100th minute, in a game where he had the ability to make five substitutes during normal time and a sixth during extra time, you could see that Solskjaer didn't have faith in his bench and therefore the Glazers need to spend um, another massive chunk of money on improving the depth of the squad. So the, the argument basically was that Solskjaer didn't have a deep enough squad to beat Villarreal, which is a club... Um, from a town of 50,000. So the entire population of Villarreal could fit inside Old Trafford with room to spare. They, As a football club, Villarreal have been punching above their, their town's weight for a long period of time. But this was their first major trophy. They have revenue um, on the last financial year of £86 million, pounds, equivalent of £86 million. Pounds. So that is... Basically the same amount of money as Solskjaer allowed to be spent on Harry Maguire's transfer fee alone um, as their entire revenue for a year. So revenue five times more on Manchester United's side than Villarreal, a wage bill four times more, squad cost in terms of transfer fee commitments six times more. This is a game that was set up in Manchester United's favour and I think the difference was in the management. One manager, Unai Emery, made the best of his resources and used tactical changes and brought players on at the right moments. Um, caught Manchester United out with a clever set piece, um, Luke Shaw negligent in his marking. Um, as we often see, Victor Lindelof caught by surprise. Um, did the things that good managers are supposed to do. You look at the opposition, look for their weaknesses, build a plan to try and uh, minimise their strengths, take advantage of their weaknesses and get more out of the sum of your parts than um, than the opposition. Solskjaer managed to get less out of the sum of the parts that he had. He he basically had one system, which was his standard system through the, the season. He would say, I wasn't able to play Fred, my preferred holding midfielder, um, but he stuck to the same formation with Pogba into Fred's position and played the same way throughout the entire game. Um, didn't use a substitute, first substitute, until 100 minutes, which was Fred, um, at which point the team were clearly tired. Didn't use his second substitute till 115 minutes. Used two of his substitutes right at the end. Uh, as penalty kick takers because he wanted um, Alex Telles, a, a very good penalty kick taker, and Juan Mata on the field for the shootout, which, which kind of indicated that what he was doing in extra time was playing with penalties in mind when clearly Manchester United should have been able to win that game either normal time or extra time by shifting the pack around and using the players he had available off the bench to take advantage of, of what he had seen Villarreal playing and, and, and pose them different problems and use the the additional quality he had to overcome them. Like, look at the bench he had. Um, I won't go through all the players, but he had Dean Henderson, Alex Tellez, um, Axel Touenzebi, who he likes as a player. Harry Maguire will exclude because he was... He, Basically wasn't fit enough to play anyway and was on, I think, for sentimental reasons. Juan Mata, Donny van de Beek, um, the best midfielder at Ajax who they signed in the summer, not used in the game at all. Daniel James, his own signing. Nemanja Matic, Fred. um, Amagialo, another of of his signings in the summer. Um, And if you take Paul Scholes' account, he doesn't trust that bench and needs more money spent for him to... uh, win a title and that what they've done so far under Solskjaer's management is progress. How can it be progress if you look at where the club were before he was given the job? They finished second in the, the season prior to him arriving with 81 points, or second this season with 74 points. The season prior to that, they won the, the League Cup and they won the Europa League, the, the tournament that he um, failed to win his trophy in this week. When they won the Europa League, they were playing against Ajax, um, who I think most people would argue are a better football team than Villarreal. They were playing with weaker resources. If you look at the starting lineup that was used in that match, um, massive difference in quality. And if you look at the the state Manchester United's team was in when they played that. 2017 Europa League final in Stockholm I think there were three players from memory, uh, first team players who were on crutches on the bench because of injuries including Zlatan Ibrahimovic who was their um, their most important striker at that point um, Look I just think it's an example of why the appointment of Solskjaer as Manchester United manager is one that handicaps the team rather than adding value um, we see lots of talk about how he's introduced sports science and how he's doing things that the previous manager didn't do and um, he's making the team more robust and, and the fitness training is better and they, uh, they cover more distance on the field. Um, look, I, I talked to, to someone who was involved in that coaching team, the previous Manchester United team, who finished higher in the league and, uh, and won the Europa League and, uh, and won the League Cup. And, and mentioned to him the, the comments that are made about sports science, and and his response was, um, look at the method we used and the vision we used to prepare the players and prepare for matches. We won the cup. What is their vision? Got them to win. And I I think that's a that's a fair uh, analysis of the difference in. The management style that Manchester United have culturally rebooted with, which Joe Glazer says is um, has them on the right path, which Ed Woodward says has them on the right path and and will get them back to um, winning trophies again, but has actually left them on their longest trophy drought um, for over three decades and their next opportunity to win silverware. It will have been five years since they last won a trophy, which is, a, which is an incredible length of time for a club with Manchester United's resources to wait to win silverware.
1: I've got a feeling Fergie might be coming back. <laughs> <laughs> so, But seriously, um, if I was a Manchester fan and spent a lot of money getting to Gdansk and to watch that game and support my club uh, in a game where they clearly... Uh, got to a point where, uh, rather than go to win it uh, under the manager's tutelage and his alleged tactical nous, but decided that uh, not to lose it was better, i.e. go to penalties. And then you get to the point where David De Gea is the man who takes the deciding kick, who has been bereft of confidence, who does not take penalties, uh, who ignored his own crib sheet, on the opposition penalty takers from penalty number six, as we now know, I I would just be outraged and irate uh, with regards to uh, the way that things panned out. And it's something which, in years gone by, Manchester United would not have tolerated. Um, Yes, they showed faith in Alex Ferguson for four years when they didn't win a trophy, but that's not the way that Manchester United operate in the modern era, um, except that the Glazers would rather uh, settle for mediocrity rather than um, take the chance and bring in a manager. And we've already spoken extensively on this pod about the managers available. So my question is this, Duncan. With all these managers available who've won multiple titles available, why are Manchester United not picking up the phone to them and why are the clubs that they've left not picking up the phone to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer?
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a point someone made was uh, with all these clubs looking for top coaches at present, why isn't Solskjaer on their, uh, their shortlist? Um, and, and it's an easy one to answer. Um, I think why aren't the Glazers, uh, why haven't they called Max Allegri during this period while he was available, for example? Why haven't they pursued Pochettino during the period in which he was available, or or made the decision to change? Um, Because they feel they can get away with it, and I think it's people like Paul Scholes, um, Rio Ferdinand, Gary Neville who are are partly responsible for that because they will they utterly refuse to criticise basic mistakes that the manager is making because they used to play with him, Um, and and this picture of he is making progress, the word progress came out of schools and Ferdinand's mouth on multiple occasions in their their post-match analysis. Um, (laughs) You just have to look, as we said, where they were with the previous manager. Solskjaer hasn't made progress on that. He's made progress on the depths to which he took the club down to in his early stage. He's had in Edward Ward's words, more money net spent on the transfer market than any of their European rivals during that period. He's been provided with massive changes and improvements to the squad. I don't think any um, balanced, impartial critic would would say otherwise that the squad is now better than it was in, in 2018 in terms of depth of, of quality. Um, yet, no trophies to to show for it. And, you know, you talk about Sir Alex Ferguson and his management and um, and his winning European trophies. You certainly didn't see Alex Ferguson making impactful substitutes off the bench um, in order to have penalty kick takers at the end of a game. He was making substitutes to win European trophies. Sharing him ironically exactly not in the expectation <laughs> that it would he would have to go to penalty kicks against an inferior team who he should have had the resources to beat on the field of play um, but didn't seem to be able to come up with an in-game plan to change which isn't a surprise um because you know this is a manager who who goes into interviews um with major broadcaster in the UK sky as recently as April um saying that he's not As good a coach as the coaches he employs, he he said, I've never hidden the fact that I've got coaches who are better than me on the pitch. The main chunks of the session, that's Kieran, McKenna, Michael Carrick, Martin Pert and Fletch, Darren Fletcher, they do them. But man management is my passion. I've got other skills, of course. You've got to look at what other people can bring to the table uh, that you can't. For me to get the best out of every single player by hook or by crook, by praise or by stick, that's an art and a science. He's not getting the best out of every single player. The coaches he, uh, he is using as assistants, who he's delegating the responsibility for coaching Manchester United to, because he says he's not as good as them, are novices, relative novices in the case of Michael Carrick and Darren Fletcher, both of whom I think have the potential to be excellent coaches, are both extremely intelligent, hardworking football men, but they've never coached any um, club before. Kieran McKenna, who's a, who's a promotion from the academy that was made uh, by un, under the direction of Ed Woodward and the Glazers, and people he was working with at Cardiff City and at Molde, who were coaching a team that got relegated from the Premier League and were headed for relegation in the championship by the time that Cardiff City decided, actually, we made a mistake hiring this guy from Norway and we need to get someone else in and sacked him. Um, It it really is an incredible state of affairs for Manchester United to be in. You can't blame Solskjaer for taking the job, but you can blame the Glazers and Ed Woodford for appointing him. And that's the kind of explanation of it all. As we've said in the podcast since it began, the club is run by people who do not understand football and who prioritise money um prioritize social media prioritize developing an overseas fan base over the fundamentals of employing the right people to run a football club that is better resourced than almost every other football club in the world but isn't delivering the results that that should be achieved because of that resource
1: well i was um little aside speaking to someone who um uh was having a meal with uh one of Manchester City's most famous fans, uh, the former OSS lead singer, Liam Gallagher, who um, said uh, in response to the Europa League final result, Agent Ole, what a job he's doing. So there you go. It's not being uh, missed. Duncan, I'm intrigued that Leicester City, uh, who of course are managed by former Liverpool manager, Brendan Rogers, Liverpool, a team who we have extolled on the podcast for their intelligent transfer policy, are seem to be employing a similar uh, way of doing their business in terms of uh, identifying targets months in advance of transfer windows uh, and also in terms of what they need to do to strengthen their squad. And we have news on two uh, players who they are very close to signing in Southampton's fullback Ryan Bertrand and someone who has been for a long time one of Europe's most sought-after midfielders, Bukari Samari.
0: Yeah, they're in discussions with, with Bertrand and are confident of, of securing him on, under um, freedom of contract, which should be uh, experienced. Um, addition to what's already a, a pretty well provisioned defence um, and I've been working on Bubukari Samari for quite some time um, I think the one worry they have with Samari was that they'd they come to a provisional agreement with the expectation that they'd uh, be playing Champions League football next season and unfortunately for the second season running, running Rodgers has managed to let what looked like yeah almost guaranteed entry into the Champions League slip at the tail end of the season, which I think remains um, a big question mark over his management not being able to get over the line. Um, Kind of an issue we've seen with Maurizio Pochettino um, when he was at Tottenham and and that uh, for all the good work he did, he wasn't able to convert in English football into titles. Um, And uh, Rodgers hasn't been able to convert into the Champions League places obviously he's got that FA Cup win and that was done in a uh, in a quite structured um and uh, an impressive manner but he hasn't hasn't got the Champions League place which gives you a lot of extra revenue to work with and uh and I think leverage when it comes to improving a squad that, let's face it one of the reasons Rodgers went there was the quality of recruitment before he came um Leicester for a long time now have been building uh, a squad which has depth and which has a lot of younger players whose value is increasing, and uh, and with the addition of of Rodgers' coaching, and I think this is something he is good at, uh, is is improving the the quality of his players. Um, they've turned into a, a very um, effective team, um, and. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they're they're targeting people like Bertrand and Sumari, and uh, and doing their work early and getting deals in place that hopefully they'll be able to complete and uh, and take their the what is already a very good squad up to uh, another level again.
1: And speaking of good organisation, Duncan, we have as I said, praised Liverpool for the way that they have set out their transfer policy. We can confirm, as we have spoken about on the transfer window podcast before that they have agreed to pay the release clause of Ibrahama Konate, which is €40 million, euros, and are currently organising a medical. This probably, Duncan, is, I wouldn't say a long time coming, but clearly the problems they've had at centre-back with regards to having to introduce uh, inexperienced players into that team where Virgil van Dijk is absent, has been an issue for them, and has led them to probably mount a much weaker defence of their Premier League title than certainly they would have expected.
0: It's it's kind of a classic Liverpool deal to um, pick up a player at one of the clubs in European football who are not able to turn down large offers uh, from from the the wealthy clubs in Europe. In this case, absolutely unable because it's a, a release clause included in the deal. But Liverpool have the, the real strength of their recruitment has been to pick up players like Konate, who are excelling at clubs who are accessible um, to big money offers to, to, to take them to Liverpool, put them on the Premier League and Champions League stage, and, uh, and get a, a, a significant improvement in the, in the quality of their team. And Kanati. Um, and I think fits that bill um, and it will if they can get Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez back to the levels um, they were at pre their serious knee injuries. Um, it's, a, it's an upgrade in the centre of defence and certainly a um, far better player than Ozen Kabak who they brought in in January to try and try and be a temporary fix to the problems.
1: And before we finish off with, of course, the infamous donkey Award, which this week you're going to love, um, as you do every week, Um, quick update on Celtic and their search for a new manager. It's our understanding that Eddie Howe uh, and talks with Celtic have broken down. Apparently, the uh, reason given is that Howe's backroom staff was problematic. Uh, however, as you will remember, as we spoken about on the transfer window podcast, we told you that Howe's commitment to joining the SPFL side was always tenuous; uh, that he preferred to stay in England, and indeed preferred uh, to get the Crystal Palace job, uh, if not there, then somewhere else. And it seems to have come to pass that indeed that is the case, and therefore Celtic are now looking again. At different candidates to take up the job that Neil Lennon left, uh, having failed to win that uh, elusive 10 in a row title. However, on a lighter note, uh, you may be aware and maybe not, um, but there's a very interesting and very quirky story around Chelsea in the Champions League final. And that is that several Chelsea players have. um, made a virtue, <laughs> I suppose you could call it Duncan, of the fact that having worn their 21-22 kit in three of their last two games in which they've lost two, including, of course, the FA Cup final to Leicester City, uh, that their superstition is that they would rather, in Porto, in Saturday night, revert to the twenty twenty-one kit Uh, Because they believe the new kit is, inverted quotes, unlucky. Which will make for an interesting thing next season. Um, If that's indeed what they believe. So this week's donkey Award is the Chelsea Award for Ridiculous Superstition. Um, On the basis, we're wondering what's going to happen if they lose the Champions League final in their old kit. Or indeed, if they win it, what will happen if... (laughs) (laughs) They need to wear the old kit next season as well, Uh, because I don't think Nike are going to be too pleased that they can't sell the new kit. Anyway, uh, I'm just going to open the envelope here to get the nominations. There we go. Right. Duncan, you have the privilege of choosing from the three nominations. John Terry of Chelsea, of course, who, amongst a huge number of superstitions, counted lampposts on the way to Stamford Bridge uh, on home games, uh, and he needed to make sure that the lamppost number was always the same in order to believe that they had the best of luck for that particular match. Uh, Probably a little bit more curious, is that he always insisted on using the same urinal in the Chelsea dressing room and indeed if it was taken by another player uh, he would rather, well as we say, hold it in um, until that urinal became uh, free uh, rather than have his uh, wee in another urinal or indeed anywhere else um, in order to make sure that uh, his superstition was fulfilled. Uh, We have also, and one of the greatest players of all time, of course, Johan Cruyff. So clearly, superstition is not uh, limited to um, just any old player, but he would um, pat the stomach of Get Bals, his Ajax goalkeeper, before every game, and then run across the halfway line before kickoff and spit his chewing gum out into the opposition half. Now, no reason has been given for this, but then again, superstition has no reason. So uh, that was Cruyff's particular uh, way of dealing with the gods of football regarding getting uh, positive results. My personal favourite though, Duncan, um, but I'm not trying to influence you, obviously, because you are the man who decides these things, given the... Uh, award is in your honour is the Zimbabwean Club, Midland Portland Cement who, um, whose management took things a little bit too far um, ahead of a cup final and they decided that they would take the squad to bathe in the Zambezi River near the Victoria Falls the reason for this was they wanted to cleanse the team of bad spirits Unfortunately, what they hadn't uh, really bargained for was the strong currents and the river itself being uh, a, a very popular place for hippos and crocodiles. 16 players went into the river before the match, 15 came out, and you have to say that this was probably the worst example of being a man down ever. In the history of football. So Duncan, I'll leave it to you to choose your winner.
0: Um some some great candidates there. Johan Cruyff uh, I, I I hope I didn't mishear that. I, I get balls. I, I thought you were saying that Johan Cruyff was rubbing his goalkeeper's testicles for, for good luck before <laughs> the before the game.
1: If he had golden balls, then perhaps that was the case. But I don't think. Yeah, I think it was just his tummy. Uh,
0: and John Terry's lampposts and, and Euros, The 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 biggest surprise of that was that he was actually prepared to wait when one of his teammates was uh, was on the lucky urinal ahead of him, given um, given his way of dealing with certain teammates and in, in other areas of his career. Um,
1: he had he had apparently had over fifty superstitions, <laughs> including sitting in exactly the same seat on the team bus. And he had to change beside the same two players either side of him.
0: Must have been a delight to uh, to play with. <laughs> to play with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm uh, going to be in the Chelsea dressing room on Sunday, Duncan. So I'll be doing exactly the same thing, counting the lamp posts and using the same urinal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I think you're right. I think the winner is the uh, the Zimbabwean team, um, and their uh, their their pre-cut final. Good luck. Um, routine, which ended up with one of their their players um, being taken by the crocodiles and the headpiece, being, lun-
1: being lunch for uh,
0: yeah for the wildlife.
1: I mean, can you imagine trying to explain that in the pre match press conference?
0: <laughs> it's like it's all it's almost as bad as going into a penalty shootout and um, having your captain <laughs> win the toss and and decide we'll go second, even though it's a well known statistical. <laughs> Advantage and a substantial statistical advantage um to uh to go first um and did no and one tell him well, did no one tell him apparently the the manager um decided to leave that in the hands of the captain um because he he looked into every detail beforehand as as you'd expect a manager to do and and then ignored some of them.
1: well, there you go so this week's winner of the donkey award is zimbabwe Portland cement that that's a sentence I thought I would never utter. Um, but I'm pleased that I have. Um, I feel sorry, obviously, for the family of the player who lost his life, uh, as we all do. But football and superstition are two things that go together, like love and marriage. And you know, all know how that goes sometimes. We hope you enjoyed what you've heard. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes. Get in touch via our uh, social media platforms on Instagram, on Twitter, and on uh, Facebook at Transfer Podcast, Duncan's and at Duncan Castles. I'm at J. We'll be back with you next week. As always, until then, stay safe, be well, enjoy the Champions League final, and thanks for listening.